Good morning, Bethel. It's good to see everyone this morning. Uh, Our scripture reading today is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. If you're using your pew Bible, that's on page 976 and 977. So Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. So starting in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. So if you are new with us here at Bethel and you don't know me, my name is Tyler Miller. I'm the associate pastor here, and I am um, blessed to have the opportunity to come before you this morning and preach the Word. So if um, you've been journeying along with us, or again, if today is your last Sunday, we've been going through a series on our values. So last week, Pastor Chris spoke on our first value, the gospel, and this week I'm addressing our second, community. Um, On Tuesday nights, a few people and I get together and we discuss uh, a great little book. It's been really helpful. It's called The Stories We Tell. Uh, It's by a pastor named um, Mike Cosper, And what he does in the book is he unpacks the many ways in which television shows and movies contain the threads of the Bible's grand story of redemption through Jesus. So, for example, one chapter in the book is on heroes and messiahs. So in a chapter like that, he considers uh, movies like The Hunger Games, like Star Wars, like Lord of the Rings. So if you know me, you know that's appealing to me. Uh, So this book has been really helpful. And as I was preparing for the sermon today on community, um, there was a section that was incredibly helpful. Um, There, Cosper talks about loneliness, uh, friendships, um, and TV shows that touch on our desires for relationships. And he says this, the TV sitcom is a comfort for our insecurities, and friend- or our insecurities about friendships. On Cheers, you're invited to join the community at a place where everybody knows your name. 
Friends is set in New York City, one of the most transient places on earth, featuring characters who, in spite of busy careers, always have time for one another. It's downright utopian. In all of these stories, no sin is too great, no hurt is so painful that it can break up the character's unspoken commitment to one another. It is, in an odd way, a reflection of the church, where people come together from different backgrounds, where we forbear one another's sins, and where we share burdens of suffering. So, you see, these shows and many more books, movies, and shows like them have picked on something significant. I think specifically our desire for real, meaningful, committed relationships. Um, but they only hint at and grasp at the real truth. For that, we have to turn to the Bible. We have to see what God has to say about community. And so this morning, I want us to do just that. And I want us to consider four points. Uh, one, that we were created for community. Two, that community was broken with God and one another at the fall in Adam's sin. Three, that Jesus restored community with God and other believers. And then four, uh, one day we will dwell with God and others in perfect, eternal community. So first, let's start at the beginning. You and I were created for community. But before we talk about us, I think it's important for us to recognize something about God. Um, he's triune. By that, I mean that He, the one true God, has eternally existed as three distinct co-equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, there are a number of texts that we could turn to on this point, but just quickly, I want us to look at three. You don't have to turn here with me, um, but listen to these and what they have to say about our triune God. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's a clear statement of monotheism. There's one God. And this God demands our exclusive worship. And he's always existed as three persons. So you can see this in Matthew 3. It's a, it's a great text um, in relation to the Trinity because all three persons appear on the scene. So there in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus is coming up out of the water, uh, the text says that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven speaks, God the Father, and says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. So right there you have Jesus, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father all showing up together uh, at the same scene. It's a beautiful text. And then at the end of Matthew, in chapter 28, after Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, he commands his disciples to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's a statement that means a lot, but I think one thing that it means for us this morning in relation to the Trinity is that puts all three persons on equal playing ground. Like they're equally God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So there's one God who's three co-equal persons. And these three persons have shared relationship with each other for all eternity. Now listen to Jesus touch on this as he's praying to the Father um, before he goes to the cross in John 17. So this is verse 5. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then again in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have, whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the triune God, before the world was formed, existed in loving relationship. So why is that important? On a sermon about community, why do I take your time to talk about the Trinity? Well, for an answer to that, turn with me to Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 to 28. If you're using your pew Bibles, that's at the very beginning um, of your Bibles. So Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. There the text says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God made us in his image. Now, that doesn't mean that we look like him, um, but instead it means that we are his representatives here on earth, and that we should have dominion over it. So in other words, as God's image bearers, humans, both male and female, have the unique privilege and right to rule over the earth. Um, But being made in God's image uh, has many implications beyond our function and our role. One of those, I believe, is community. Uh, and, And this is where our first point about the triune God comes into play. So if we were created in the image of the personal, relational, triune God, then we were made to be personal, relational, communal creatures. So to put it simply, we were created for community with God and others. And this isn't the shallow type of community, the shallow types of relationships where you just simply know one another by name where it's uh, superficial, and you don't really know and love each other. Um, This is the deep, rich sort of community where you know and are known, where you love and are loved, where you share your life together. So look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So there God says, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is a striking comment at, the point, at this point in Genesis. So throughout Genesis 1, God creates and he sees that his creation is good. So the light was good, 1-4. The earth and seas were good, 1-10. The vegetation was good, 1-12. The sun, moon, and stars were good, 1-18. The sea animals and birds were good, 1-21. The land animals were good, 1-25. Everything God made, including mankind, was very good, 131, but it was not good that the man was alone. 
2.18. So God does something about it. Uh, he creates a helper for him, and that's Eve. Now, the immediate implications of this union, I think, are related to husband-wife relationships. Um, but I think a general point can be made here about all of our need um, for relationships, our need as a human race for community. So in their book, uh, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp make a great point about this. And I should say, this is a phenomenal book about relationships and community. It's been super helpful for me in preparing for today. A lot of what I'm saying is a reflection of this book, um, especially the first few chapters. And so if you don't have it, I would heartily recommend it to you. Relationships, A Mess Worth Making by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. But they say in relation to Genesis 2.18, quote, this statement has more to do with God's design for humanity than Adam's neediness. God created us to be relational beings because he's a social God. God lives in community within the Trinity as Father, Son, and Spirit, and he made humanity in his image. Genesis 2 is not speaking primarily to Adam's experience of being lonely as much as it is revealing his nature as the person God created him to be. Because God created a communal being, someone designed for relationships, creation is incomplete without a suitable companion. While Genesis 2 does address how male and female complement each other, the implications are broader to include all human relationships. So, do you feel the weight, like the importance of this? You and I were made, we were created for community. We weren't meant to go about our lives alone in isolation. And while the Bible certainly tells us this, and I think that's of supreme importance, I think it's also telling that uh, science affirms this too. So in the UK, there's a program designed to help prevent loneliness among the elderly. Uh, it's called the Campaign to End Loneliness. And on their website, they cite research claiming, quote, lacking social connections is a comparable risk factor for early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and is worse for us than well-known risk factors such as obesity and physical inactivity. I think that that's striking. Uh, but even apart from scientific research, I think we naturally know this. Uh, so students, think about uh, your high school cafeteria or your middle school cafeteria. People sit in groups together, don't they? It's strange to see somebody eating alone. Uh, and if you do see somebody eating alone, most of the time, like, you don't want to be that person. And if you are that person, you might do like you see in the movies, like, run to the bathroom and eat in a stall by yourself so nobody knows. Like, we don't want to be alone. Or, or think about it this way. Why do we naturally know that solitary confinement is bad even though most of us haven't experienced it? I think there are a lot of reasons, probably, but one of those, I think, is in the name. It's solitary confinement. You're alone, and you're not getting out unless somebody comes to your aid. It's terrifying. So, um, Lane and Tripp, again, in this book, they say it this way, and I think that they're exactly right. Quote, we know we are less than human when we're all alone. So what happened? If God created us for 
deep, life-giving community, why is that so often not our real-life experience? Like, why are interpersonal dynamics so complicated? Because this, as this book says, like, so messy. Uh, why do we find it difficult to pour our lives into other people? Why is this so hard? Well, for the answer to that question, I think we need to go back to Genesis, and there we'll see our second point, that community was broken in ages past. So in Genesis 2, God places Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he gives him a single command. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's chapter 2, verse 16. So one command, eat from any tree you like except for this one. It'll bring death. But then, in Genesis 3, Satan, disguised as a serpent, approaches Eve and he questions God's word. He deceives her, and both she and Adam eat the forbidden fruit. So before, they were both naked and unashamed. After they disobey God, they cover themselves and hide from God among the trees. God, of course, knows what's happened. Uh, and he questions Adam and Eve. And then watch this. The first couple immediately begin to blame shift. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. But the damage was done. God punishes the serpent, he punishes Eve, and he punishes Adam. He graciously makes clothes for Adam and Eve, but he sends them out of the garden. Separation, death. Do you see how tragic that is? Adam and Eve break the command of the one who gave them life, and death and separation break onto the scene just as God said it would. The community that once existed between God and man and between man and woman immediately fractures. Adam blames Eve for for his sin, and the couple sin away from the presence of the Lord. And then what happens one generation later? In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain, presumably angry because God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not his, murders, murders his brother out in a field. And then when God confronts him about it and asks him where Abel is, what does Cain say? Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The audacity to speak to God like that is jarring. The callousness is just heartbreaking. One generation is all it takes to see the extent of the damage done to the community that previously existed in the garden, just one. And from that first sin on, community was broken, and in part, it still is. So have you ever felt the effects of this broken community on your relationships? Uh, Even as Christians, uh, we feel the sting of fractured community both with God and with other people. So with God, prayer, intimacy, uh, obedience are at times harder than we'd like. Sometimes we we would rather do just something else then commune with the sovereign Lord of the universe. When faced with other delights, God's, God is too often on the losing end. And what's more, when we sin against him, instead of running back into his loving, merciful embrace, we go the way of our first parents and hide among the trees. We want this to be easier, 
But the battle for our affections rages on, and it's one that we have to fight by grace and through the Holy Spirit's help moment by moment. And think about our interpersonal relationships. They don't always go smoothly, do they? Of course they don't. Like, listen again to, to Lane and Tripp here in this book. Um, they provide some really helpful questions for us to recognize this problem. So they say, quote, your best relationship, no matter who it's with, is messy. Stop and think about your most satisfying relationship. Ask yourself these simple questions about this relationship. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever been hurt by what the other person said? Have you ever felt like you haven't been heard? Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had to work through a misunderstanding? Have you ever disagreed on a decision? Have you or the other person ever held a grudge? Have you ever experienced loneliness even when things were going well? Have you ever been let down? Have you ever doubted the other person's love? Has the other person ever doubted your commitment? Have you ever struggled to resolve a conflict? Have you ever wished you didn't have time to give or serve? Have you ever felt used? Have you ever thought, if I had only known? I think all of us can identify with one, some, maybe all of those questions. So why is this the case? Why is community so hard? Why do we sometimes feel at one and the same time a desire to run and hide and a desire to press in and be known and loved? I think Genesis 3 gives us the answer. You can trace all of that brokenness back to a garden where a man and woman doubted the goodness of their creator. They chose to listen to the voice of the fork-tongued deceiver and they rebelled and went their own way. But lest we blame shift, uh, we can also follow that thread of difficulty, I think, right back to our own hearts. We're all sinners by nature and by choice, and our relationships naturally reflect that. So what should we do about this? Does it seem hopeless? Should we just give up, curse God, and die? No, of course we shouldn't. Um, but what can we do? And this is where the really, really good news comes in. This is the breath of fresh air that we need. This is where we get to relax our shoulders and breathe. So Jesus did what you and I can't do. He, and this is our third point, restored and is restoring the community that was once broken. So Look with me again at Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. So that's page 976 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Page 976. So in this passage, Paul's writing to Gentile or non-Jewish Christians, and he provides such an encouraging word for them and us. So he explains that at one time, these Gentile or non-Jewish believers were far off from God. They were alienated from Israel, the Jewish people of God, and they were strangers to the covenants of promise that uh, Israel had received from the Lord. They were without hope, and they were without God. But, Paul explains, the blood of Jesus has brought them near. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that separated them from Israel, and he established 
peace where hostility once reigned. Jesus, verse 16 says, reconciled Jews and Gentiles both to God and to one another. And so now because of what Christ has done, there's one household of God with Jesus being the cornerstone. And in him, we, the people of God, are growing into a holy temple of the Lord. We're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's phenomenal news For, for us who feel the sting of fractured community. The news doesn't get better than this, that Jesus did everything necessary to reconcile us to God and to each other. Well, how exactly did he do that? This is the gospel. So he, God the Son, he took on flesh. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. He hung on the cross in our place. He endured the wrath of the Father for our sin and died. And there on the cross, the relationship, the community that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world was broken. So you see, Jesus endured fractured community of the worst kind so that you and I could be reconciled to God and each other. And importantly, God raised Jesus from the dead. He approved of his sacrifice and he seated him at his right hand in heaven. And so the promise for us, for everyone, is that if we turn away from our sins and if we trust Christ as our Savior, as our rightful ruler, we'll be saved and we'll be brought into a right relationship with God and with other believers. And wonderfully, we'll also be given the Holy Spirit who will dwell in us, who will enable us to stay faithful and bear fruit who will keep us and enable us to persevere until either we die or Jesus comes back. So do you see the impact of this? Can you imagine the impact of this for our community uh, here at Bethel, our, this local body of believers? So for us as individuals, it means that while we'll still wrestle with sin for the rest of our lives here on earth, we have the confidence that not only are we forgiven and right with God, but also that the Spirit will keep us faithful to the very end. And as a church family, it means that while relationships won't ever be easy, we can and should confidently pursue them because of what Christ has done. Namely, He's brought us by grace through faith into the house of God. So what exactly should this look like for us here? How are we to live in light of this restored community? Well, I think we should respond in at least three ways. So one, love God supremely. So in all our talk about interpersonal relationships, interpersonal community, it's important not to miss the forest for the trees. We really do need each other. We weren't made to be alone. But, again, in the words of Lane and Tripp, no human being was ever meant to be the source of personal joy and contentment for someone else. That's what God is for. We were made for God. And as Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. That's the purpose for which we were created, 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if we seek that primarily in one another, if we place that burden on each other, if I depend on you to meet all of my needs, you're going to let me down. I'm going to let you down. That will only result in more and more fractured community if we operate that way. But we have a good God who is always forever faithful, always forever trustworthy and true, always dependable. He won't ever let us down. So do you see why it's important to love him supremely? Because if we do that, if our affections are set on God, they're in the right place. God's never going to disappoint us. And so that enables us to rightly uh, interact, to commune, to share life with each other. We can do that realistically. We can do that with the grace that God provides us. So first and foremost, let's delight in the Lord. Let's seek him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But two, let's also commit to living out the one another's of scripture. So uh, here by one another's, I'm thinking of the many places in the Bible where the authors explain what kind of community that we are called to be. So I'm gonna run through these quickly. If you wanna jot them down and look them up later, I would encourage you to do so, but um, I'm just going to hit some highlights of these one another's that are in the New Testament. There are more than this. I'm sure that we could list more, but just hear these. So we are to love and honor one another, Romans 12:10. We are to live in harmony with one another, Romans 12:16. We are to accept one another as Jesus accepted us, Romans 15:7. We're to instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4, 32. Humbly count others more significant than ourselves, Philippians 2, 3. Bear with and forgive one another, Colossians 3, 13. And encourage one another and build each other up, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And beyond that, uh, Scripture calls us to do things like rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, Romans 12.15, to meet together and encourage one another, Hebrews 10.24-25. So like I said, I'm sure that we could list more, but do you see this picture? Jesus has changed everything about us and who we're called to be. He's giving us peace with God, and he, by his spirit, enables us to live this otherworldly kind of life. So we can love, why? Because he first loved us. We can live at peace, why? Because he brought us peace. We can serve because he served us. We can bear one another's burdens, because he bore our greatest burden on the cross. We can forgive because he forgave us. We can be honest about our sin and secure. Uh, we can be honest about our sin because we are secure. We're righteous in him. The gospel changes everything about who we are and who we're called to be. It gives us power to live this way. 
We can't live this way in our own strength. It's not going to happen. After Genesis 3, there's no hope for that kind of life without some sort of intervention. And Jesus, in the best way, brought it. He's given us relationship with God and one another. I mean, isn't this encouraging? Like, doesn't this change everything? And three, be all in. So living out these one another's isn't going to be easy. I mean, we, we've talked about this already. Like as a result of Adam's sin in Genesis 3, even as Christians, we still feel the sting of uh, sin in our relationships. We're still affected by it. Jesus has brought restoration to our relationships. He has given us the best kind of community. Um, but we are still waiting for that to fully, perfectly come. And it's not here yet. A day is coming when it will be, but it's not here yet. And so, as we seek to live out these one another's, it's going, uh, or it's not going to be easy. We're going to need to depend on the Holy Spirit to enable us to cultivate community. We're going to need to sacrificially strive for it. And this is going to require all of us. We, we can't do this alone. All of us, Bethel, were needed. Paul explains this. He hits on this in 1 Corinthians 12. So you don't have to turn there, but there... In that chapter, he addresses a community where certain spiritual gifts are being elevated over others. And providing a corrective, he explains that the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts all Christians with different gifts for the common good. And he compares the body of Christ to a physical body, and he makes the point that everyone, every part, is absolutely essential so he says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 12, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Just as the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part's essential. Do we believe that? Are we buying into that? Are we diving into that truth in the way we live here as a church family? I think we need to take stock, and if we're not, we need to strive for that. So think about it this way. We often emphasize um, two um, primary areas of involvement here at Bethel. Sunday morning, what we're doing now, and um, what used to be called home groups. If you were here last Sunday, um, you got to hear from Pastor Chris that we've changed that to community groups. Um, not just to merely uh, change words, not for semantics. We change that to community groups to better reflect what's behind it, that we are a community of individuals who have been changed and are being changed by the power of the gospel. A community, a family. This goes beyond merely what we do in our homes. And so moving from home groups to community groups. But so we emphasize often that the two primary ways that we want to encourage everyone to be involved is Sunday mornings and community groups. 
So are you all in? So Sunday morning, it's possible to come, to be in attendance, to recognize each other by name, and not have this kind of one another, all in attitude. So we, we can merely know one another superficially. We can memorize each other's names in the directory and miss out on the kind of community the gospel calls us to. Think about um, social media. This happens all the time in social media. This almost describes social media. Social media is a, uh, can be good. I'm not against social media, so I'm on Facebook and Twitter and other things. Um, so social media does have some benefits, but think about the dangers. Those are put your best foot forward kind of places. It's not often to see someone uh, um, own up to their faults um, in this open, kind of honest way in social media. Um, it's not often to see, if it's not often that we would see the one another's lived out in social media. Like Whitney and I were talking about this over the weekend and even thinking about us as a family. And this is a, a funny way to think about it, but I think it still rings true. So when we take pictures of our family and we'll post those on Facebook, you see the best picture of the bunch. You don't see all the pictures it took to get that picture. Like, so there are pictures that are going to be blurry. There are pictures where my kids might be running who knows where. There are pictures where my eyes might be closed. What you get is the final one, like the best one. You get our best foot forward. We can do that on Sunday mornings. But Sunday mornings are times when we are all gathered together to worship the Lord, but we're also gathered together to minister to each other. So when you see someone in the hall or when you see someone after service is over, uh, take time to pour into them. Know and be known. Love and be loved. This is a great opportunity for us weekly to share our lives together, to seek to pour out the grace of the Lord in each other's lives. So let's be all in and take advantage of that. And then community groups. Community groups are intentionally designed for this kind of one another life. Um, so if you are in a community group, again, be all in. Remember, we can be open and honest about what we're struggling with. We can be open and honest about where we're at because we're secure in Christ. And if we're living out these one another's, we're being committed to love one another as God has loved us. So we can live confidently this otherworldly lifestyle in community groups. And so if you are attending, if you are plugged in, still be all in. And if you're not plugged into community group, let me implore you to do that. Again, those are um, places that are intentionally set up for us to live this life together. That's what they're meant for. They're meant for us to come together and share our lives um, and to provide us opportunities as the church to also minister to the world. So if you're not in a community group, ask 
Why? Like, what's preventing you from plugging in there and be all in? Commit. It will be worth it. So you, you may object to, to this. You may think, well, they're going to be fine. I am one of what well, we, we have on average around 200 right now this morning. I am one of 200. They're going to be fine. They don't need me. I can come to church, uh, have these uh, relationships where I know them by name, but I can uh, experience God just as well even in other places. I don't need to dive into community. If that's you, um, I want you to hear this quote. This is from a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, His name's Jeremy Linneman. He's writing this to uh, specifically non-Christian friends but I think that it can apply to those of us who might be wrestling with being all in in our restored community. So listen to what he says. Quote, I've occasionally had non-Christian friends say, I don't need God. I don't need church. I just go hiking and enjoy nature instead. Sure, that can sound appealing. A nature walk in a beautiful park on a Saturday morning. But when suffering comes, when your body fails, when a loved one dies, When you're treated unjustly and marginalized, what then? Nature is not going to come visit you. Trails don't make hospital visits. We need each other. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, as clearly as it gets, every one of us is essential. So be all in. To not do so is a disservice to yourself? You need us. It's also a disservice to us. We need you. And it's also an uh, intentional, or at best, unintentional, stiff arm of the creator who designed you for community. So if we're not all in, um, let's do so. Let's trust the Lord for his grace, for his help there. This is going to require time. This is going to require investment. So uh, for some of us, um, there may be selfishness at work here. We think, I don't want to give up the things that I enjoy to take the time that this is going to require. Again, apply the gospel to that temptation. Jesus uh, humbly, sacrificially, gave himself for you. The most unselfish act in the history of the world. So think about our Christ. Think about the gospel and let's live that kind of lifestyle that Jesus empowers. For some of us, it might be laziness. So we want genuine relationships with others, but when the going gets tough, when the relationships get hard and they take time to cultivate, we get out. Again, The gospel helps us to move beyond those temptations. Laziness? That doesn't have any place among us as a body when it comes to our community. We are together one, the house of God. We are being made into a temple, a dwelling place for the Lord. 
That thought alone helps, gives us, helps give us the desire to dive in, to pursue one another. And think about the result. As we do this, uh, love God and love one another, think about the result. Others may see and want in. So in John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So living out this kind of gospel-centered community is a living out of our purpose statement as a church family. Our purpose statement is to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. If we're cultivating this type of community, we're doing that. We're proclaiming to Newcastle County and beyond that there's something different about us here at Bethel Baptist Church. Not in a prideful, arrogant way. It's the opposite. Again, we're sinners by nature and by choice. There's something different about us because God has made it so. God has changed us by the power of the gospel, reconciled us to himself and to one another. And as we live in light of that truth in our community, the world sees. They see the love that we have for each other. They see the light that we give off. We're a city on a hill. So, so let's do that. Let's dive in to gospel community. Love God, love one another, know and be known um, for the glory of God, for our good as a church family, and for the good of the watching world. And then uh, lastly, and this is our last major point, let's live like this, looking ahead to the future perfected community that Jesus will usher in. So turn with me to Revelation 21, 1 to 4. So again, if you're using your pew Bibles, Genesis was at the very beginning. Revelation 21 is right at the very end. So Genesis 21, 1 to 4, or, it's, or at least it's close to it. So starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This 
Bethel is where we are headed. Jesus really is coming back. These verses really are going to happen. One day, we'll dwell with God forever. Right now, we're called to weep with those who weep. That's one of those types of one another statements that won't exist anymore. There won't be any more weeping. We'll dwell with Jesus for all eternity. And Satan, the snake who once deceived Adam and Eve and who continues to try to ensnare us even now, he'll be forever destroyed. Jesus will fully, finally crush him underfoot. And all that sin, all that brokenness that we experience now is going to die with him. So when community gets difficult, and it will be, when you're tempted to flee or accuse, and you will be, when you're sinned against, and you will be, and you want to respond in kind, or you want to give up, press on. Jesus is making all things new. The Spirit is at work in us now, enabling us to live this way. Jesus will come back and set everything to rights. God will dwell with us, restored relationship with him. We will be his people, restored relationship with each other. One perfect, eternal community. One big, happy family. Let's pray. God, I praise you for Christ, for the good work that you have done and are doing in us, for doing everything necessary to bring us into right relationship with you and each other. You are so good to us. Um, And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with uh, gospel-driven hope um, and gospel-driven zeal to seek this kind of community um, that your word describes. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.